You are listening to the Journal of Rheumatology's Editor's Picks with Dr. Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief. Hi, this is Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology. Welcome you to the April 2019 edition of Editor's Pick. As we hope spring finally comes to the Northern Hemisphere, although it did snow in Toronto at the end of March. First paper I want to discuss is entitled Biologic and Glucocorticoid Use After Mathotrexate Initiation in Patients with Rheumatoid Arthritis by George and colleagues. I always also want to point out there is an accompanying editorial by Bykirk entitled Low-Dose Glucocorticoid Use Does Not Reduce Biologic Use in Early RA, Nor Do Biologics Reduce the Need for Glucocorticoids. I encourage you to read both the article and the accompanying editorial. Now back to the paper. The aims of the paper were one, to identify predictors of greater utilization of biologic therapies, and two, to identify factors associated with persistent glucocorticoid use. The patients studied were followed at U.S. Veterans Affairs Hospitals from the years 2005 to 2016 and who were begun on methotrexate. The investigators identified a total of 17,415 patients who were started on methotrexate during the study periods, of which 3,263, or 20.6%, received a biologic therapy within two years of beginning methotrexate. 45% of these patients were greater than or equal to 65 years old, and almost 50% were on glucocorticoids. Read the paper to find out how age, presence of comorbidities, including heart failure and cancer, as well as race, influenced physicians' decisions to begin biologic therapy and on the persistent use of glucocorticoids. Please read the accompanying editorial, which highlights the important issues regarding biologic use and glucocorticoid therapy and the generalizability of the findings presented from a VA hospital. Please read both the paper and editorial to determine how closely this cohort resembles patients in your practice and how these findings may influence your use of glucocorticoids in your patients. Second paper I want to discuss is entitled Smoking is Associated with Higher Disease Activity in Rheumatoid Arthritis, a Longitudinal Study Controlling for Time-Varying Covariance by Jean Fresco and colleagues. The rationale for this study was that prior studies examining the relationship between smoking and RA disease activity had reported inconsistent findings. The investigators examined the association of smoking and RA using what they felt were better statistical methods that accounted for time-varying confounding as well as loss to follow-up. Of course, the title of the paper leaves no mysteries as to the conclusions. In this retrospective study, the investigators identified 282 people with an RA diagnosis seen between 2013 and 2017 who had concurrent smoking status disease activity assessed at each visit. They used the time-varying longitudinal measures to examine the associations. 
They found that smoking was associated with an increase in the swollen joint count and physician global score as compared to non-smokers. Analysis using conventional methods did not show any relationship between smoking and disease activity. Please read the paper to find the finer details of the associations between smoking and overall disease activity and all the individual components of disease activity in smoking. After reading the paper, you will be better to determine for yourself whether these investigators are correct in suggesting the methods that account for time-bearing confounding and what is called informative missingness is the correct method to analyze longitudinal data. The next paper examines the increasing popular issue of antimalarial toxicity and is entitled Antimalarial Induced Cardiomyopathy in Systemic Lupus Erythematosus as rare as considered and is by Celios and colleagues. There is an accompanying editorial by Sintu and Weissman entitled Hydroxychloroquine, How Much is Too Much? It's well known that the main adverse event associated with antimalarial therapy is retinal toxicity, and as a result, routine eye examinations are recommended. In this article, Celios and colleagues described eight patients with SLE who developed a cardiomyopathy that was felt to be associated with the use of either hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine. Read the article, find out the clinical and pathologic diagnosis associated with this condition and to find out how they treated it. Also, please read the editorial by Sandu, which may help put the article into perspective regarding your clinical practice. Fourth article is entitled, Progression of Left Ventricular Myocardial Dysfunction in Systemic Sclerosis, a speckle tracking strain echocardiographic study by Wishgarden and colleagues. In this study, the research examined changes in cardiac performance over time in a prospectively followed cohort of 224 systemic sclerosis patients. They reviewed the clinical parameters, lab laboratory tests, pulmonary function tests, and echocardiographic parameters at baseline, and then again after a medium follow-up of 2.3 years. Additionally, left ventricular systolic function was assessed with global longitudinal strain analysis, or GLS, by echocardiographic speckle tracking analysis. Read this article to find out whether speckle tracking analysis has an advantage over the routine measurement of left ventricular ejection fractions in patients with systemic sclerosis. After reading this article, we've been determined the clinical associations that they found with changes in cardiac function measured by both routine echocardiography and echocardiographic speckle tracking. You can determine for yourself if the results convince you that echocardiographic speckle scanning analysis should be used in your clinical practice. The last article to review is entitled Predictors of Effectiveness of Anakinra in Systemic Juvenile Idiopathic Arthritis and is by Sacomano and colleagues. Anti-IL-1 therapy has been proven to be a very effective treatment in patients with systemic juvenile arthritis or SJIA. But similar to tr other treatments in medicine, 
not all patients will respond to the therapy. In this paper, the investigators examined predictors of complete clinical remission at one year in 62 patients treated with anakinra, an IL-1 receptor antagonist. Overall, they found that 39% of their patients met the criteria for complete remission at one year. You may be surprised to learn what predictors of response were found by the investigators. After reading the paper, you will be in a better position to determine which patients are most likely to respond or not to respond to anti-IL-1 therapy, and therefore who you may want to consider anti-IL-6 therapy as the initial biologic therapy of your patients with SJIA. Although adult onset stills disease is not identical to SJIA, both illnesses tend to respond to either IL-1 or IL-6 blockade. So this article is of interest to both my adult and pediatric colleagues. I want to thank you all for listening to my review of what I felt were particularly important articles appearing in the April 2019 issue of the Journal of Rheumatology. I hope my summaries will lead you to read not only the five articles that I reviewed, but in fact, all the articles appearing in the April 29th edition. Please read either the print edition or the online edition, which can be found at www.jroom.org. If you have any comments on this summary or any articles appearing in the Journal of Rheumatology, please send them to manuscripts at jroom.com. I hope you will listen next month to the editor's picks for the May 2019 edition of the Journal of Rheumatology.